0: Happy day, happy day, you washed my sin away. Oh, happy day, happy day. you rescued me, sing it out, Jesus is alive. Empty cross, the empty grave, life eternal, you have won the day, shout it out, Jesus is alive. To face like yours, Jesus, you are mine. In this joy of perfect peace, earthly pain finally will see. Celebrate, Jesus is alive. My sin away, oh happy day, happy day, I'll never be the same. Oh, what a glorious day, what a glorious way. Lord I'm not i yeah. yeah. The light, so let your light shine brighter. We are the light, we are the light, we are the light. Jesus, you are the light, you are the light, you are the light. We will lift you high and shine, shine, shine. We are the light of the world We are the city on the hill We are the light of the world And we gotta, we gotta, we gotta Let the light shine Let the light shine, let the light shine
1: everybody welcome to my backyard Um, if you've been joining us for a few weeks online and and maybe never attended before in person you might be wondering why we take time out to do communion each week well it's a really simple reason we take time out to do communion because that's what the early church did in the book of acts they met together on the first day of the week they listened to an apostle or disciple or follower preach they prayed together They fellowshiped with one another. They they were close, they were friends with each other. They also took time to take communion. They took time to remember the sacrifice of Jesus when he died on the cross to pay for our sin. And So we continue that uh, tradition of remembering the sacrifice of Jesus each and every Sunday. We just want to do our best to do Bible things in Bible ways. I uh, came across on social media a post a few days ago. Uh, Turned out to be a line from a song. It's uh, from the lyrics of the song, Awake My Soul by Hillsong. I have to confess, I haven't listened to the whole song, but I did get on just long enough to find the lyric and, and, and make sure it was in the right context and everything. Here's what it says. And when he moves and when we pray, where stood a wall, now stands away. And I think that's what communion is about. We come together to celebrate communion, to take the piece of bread or or cracker or chip or uh, whatever you happen to have today, and the juice or, um, or some other drink to remember the body and the blood of Jesus. And it's for a really specific reason, because There was a wall between us and God because of our sin. And where that wall stood, Jesus made a way. He paid the price for our sin so that we could get to God. Um, And so we take communion together and we do this online and we do this in person every week because we want to remember. We wanna be connected not just to each other but to the early church. We want to be connected to Jesus when he sat with his disciples on the night before he was betrayed and he instituted communion. Um, He started it for the very first time there. We want to be connected to all of that because when he moves, when we pray in concert with his movement, the walls come down. The wall of sin Walls of shame, separation, heartbreak. Where stood a wall now stands a way. And that way exists for you as well. If you're a believer in Jesus, participate in communion because you've been set free. And look, if you're not a believer, if this is all new to you, um, the same is true for you. (laughs) That Jesus died for your sin and gave his life in your place. And if you believe, you can partake of this communion. It can be a part of your life and, and your own tradition in your family to remember the sacrifice, to remember that there was a wall that kept us from God and Jesus tore it down. Let's pray. God, we thank you in so many ways, in so many areas of our lives, tearing down the walls and making ways Ways for us to get to you, to communicate with you, to, to be in a relationship with other people and with you. And God, thank you for tearing down the walls that existed between us even when we're separated, and that we can be together even though we're apart from one another through this technology. Thank you, God, for always making a way between us and you, even at the expense and the life of your son Jesus. We celebrate his sacrifice today because it made a way for us. And we partner, we we come together with believers all around the world and all throughout history to celebrate the cross of Christ and what that means to us. So we thank you God for loving us and for making a way for us in Jesus name, amen. so far worshiping, and I hope that you have felt the presence of God where you are uh, in, in your home or on your bed or on your couch or with your family or, or wherever. We're, we're just so glad to be able to, to share a few moments um, with you today uh, and to worship with you even though we're apart. And we've come to a point in our service where we take some time out to give back to God some of what He's given to us, and so we want to give you the opportunity um, to do that today. I want to share a scripture before we get to that, though, from Psalm chapter 49, verses 16 and 17. This was part of my Bible reading, I think, of the last week or so, and I just came across it, and oftentimes I come across things that strike me, and so I highlight them in my Bible app, and then I go back to them later. Here's what you read in Psalm 49. "'Be not afraid when a man becomes rich, when the glory of his house increases, for when he dies he will carry nothing away.' his glory will not go down after him. Now, a lot of times the Bible talks about uh, people who are wealthy and then dying. It's, it's talking about it kind of in a negative way, like, hey, they're going to die and their money is going to go to somebody else. Like, like, big deal, you know, don't let them go, get whatever they want. But I think this verse takes a little different approach. And I think it's speaking to the rest of us who remain. And They're saying, look, don't be afraid if somebody becomes rich and, and, and has wealth and has money and has things because at one point they're going to die and then that money is going to be transferred. Like it doesn't go with you. It, it stays and, and it can be used for good things even if it was used for bad things before. And look, having money is not a bad thing. I believe God wants us to, to enjoy the results of our labor. But he also wants us to understand the place that money should hold in our lives. Money is a tool to be used for God, God's glory and his purposes, just like talents and abilities, just like the tech people here today or the instrumentalists or the vocalists. Money is a tool to be used for God's glory. When a person gains money or possessions, they can't take them with them when they die. So the psalmist says, the rest of us are not to be afraid because what is gained can't be taken but remains and can continue to do good. You and I can't take our wealth with us, but we can use it while we're here on this planet for God's glory. And we can do that when we give. And so whether we're alive or whether we're dead, the money that we have can be used for God's glory in each case. We can give to God and he is honored. Needs can be met. The work of God in the world can continue. And so if I die this week, the money I have Uh, the money I've given to God will continue to do good in the world. And I'm glad that I've gotten to participate with God, with you in bringing others to Jesus um, through the gifts that he's given me, not just to preach, but to give and to be generous uh, with others. I want to give you the opportunity to give today. On your mobile device or your computer, you can go to the website, reallifecc.us, and on any page, you can click on the little orange icon there. It'll be down in the bottom right-hand corner. And that'll take you to a giving flow. And you just work your way down through that. Now, if you've given before, make sure you tap in the top right-hand corner. Make sure that you're signed in because then all your information is gonna be saved. It'll make it much easier for you and it'll make it much easier for our admin team as they uh, work through who's given what. So take a few minutes to do that. If you're on our online campus, you can just go up to the top where it says give and you can click on that link and it'll open the same flow right on the window that you're on. You can go through the same process Uh, from there. So, thank you for giving. I I want you to know that we've had the best financial start to 2020 than we've ever had in the history of real life, even though we've been in uh, corona for the last, what, four or five weeks or something. And that's because of God's faithfulness both to you and to us. So we continue to trust him to work through you, to work through us, to meet the needs that we have in Christ and and continue to minister, continue the mission to help every person possible find real life in Jesus. Let's pray. God, thank you for loving us and for giving to us. Um, God, thank you for encouraging your people to give, for meeting the needs of your church so that we can share the message of your son Jesus with an ever wider audience. And and right now, even as we look at at folks that are watching, there's going to be people watching this live stream from all over the country and even from other countries around the world. And we thank you, God, for your faithfulness in that. I thank you for those people who've been faithful in giving in the years past so that we could have the means to be able to do the things that we're doing right now. And I thank you for those who are giving today because they're looking to the future as well. And they want, like we want, to help every person possible find real life in Jesus and look more like Jesus each and every day. So thank you, God for continuing to be faithful to all of us, even in the midst of the struggles that we face day in and day out with loss of jobs or cut hours or those things. God, thank you for being faithful. In Jesus' name, amen. Welcome back to part three of To Be Continued. Now, um, my guess may be a little different because look, I I don't have little kids at home anymore, Um, but I'm going to make an assumption and I'm going to bet that it's probably right. Uh, I'll bet that your children at home, uh, because they've been at home, right, way too long already in this corona quarantine, I'll bet that they've fought at least a time or two They've gotten in disagreements, they've gotten in arguments, that something has happened. And at least one point, and probably at least once already this morning, one of your children has come to you and said, you know, the other one did something that hit me or took a toy or did this. And I was, and, and what do we say as parents? We always say, tell him you're sorry. Tell her you're sorry. And, and we like make them do that. And I get that. Like I did that. We, we want to teach our children how to apologize But often when my kids were growing up, I would add a little something to that. And and I would say something like this. When you say, I'm sorry, remember that saying it doesn't mean anything if you turn around and do it again. So if you took that toy that they wanted, and I make you give it back, and I make you say, I'm sorry, but five minutes later, you take the toy again, you weren't really sorry. And then that sorry didn't lead to any kind of change in your life. See, saying sorry and meaning sorry are two completely different things. Now I, I've wondered this week how many times God has said this very thing about us—individuals who, at different times in, in their lives, have said things, you know, "Sorry, Jesus," in regards to our sin—and then thought that that was enough to clear our spiritual debt. And I wonder if God ever yells from heaven, look, it doesn't mean anything if you say it and then don't do it. Like if you're saying I'm sorry to God, but you're not doing it, it doesn't get you any spiritual reward. Saying sorry to God can in our lives be transformative. But far too often, saying sorry to God, is just a temporary response designed to get us in good with our heavenly father, like a child telling their sibling, I'm sorry, because dad said to. In this series, we've been looking at the times when Jesus appeared to his disciples after his resurrection, and then what happened in those encounters. And, and there's a specific reason why we're doing this. Like, look, if you died and then came back from the dead you rose from the dead, you're alive again, and and you know you're only going to be here for 40 days, I'm guessing that people are going to pay attention to what you're going to say in those 40 days. I think that would be like some of the most important things that you might say, because you know, this is all the time I've got. Like I've come back, I'm going to right all the wrongs. I'm going to make sure everybody understands what I want for them and and that I love them and and purpose and all of these things. And so what we say if we come back from the dead is very, very important. And so Luke records in his gospel, one of these in-person meetings that Jesus has with his disciples. And so here's what he says in uh, verse 24. While they were, uh, or excuse me, chapter 24, while they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace. Be with you. Now we're going to talk about that in just a second. We're going to talk about that a little differently. In another verse that we've looked at already in this series, it said that Jesus came and stood among them, but inside of a locked room. So he appeared and then he disappeared. So we're going to talk about that in a minute. Let's get back to this. He says, peace be with you. Now they were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. And so he said to them, why are you troubled and why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? Well, they gave him a piece of boiled, broiled fish and he took it and ate it in their presence. And he said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms. Now, in these verses, we get a a peek at what Jesus wanted to make sure his disciples understood um, before he leaves again. And so, let me just hit some of these high points. I think there's three things that Jesus wants to make sure the people uh, remember. The first one is this, that Jesus came in peace. Almost every time Jesus appears to people after the resurrection, he says, peace be with you. I think he wanted them to understand. I think he wanted them, um, he expected them to remain in his peace and to be with him as his people in a state of peace. I think he wanted peace to be a part of their lives and their makeup and, and, and what they were about. So Jesus came in peace. Secondly, Jesus came in in person. Jesus goes to great lengths when he shows up with the disciples and with others to make sure they understand that, like, he's real, okay? So he says, touch my hands, touch my feet. He says to Thomas, we talked about it last week, put your hand in my side. See that I'm real. In fact, he even says, give me something to eat. He wants them to understand that he is there in person. And and even though He appeared and disappeared, like right before their eyes, even behind locked doors, He wanted them to understand that the reason He was able to do that was because He was God, not because He was a ghost. So, He wants them to understand that He came in person. And thirdly, I think He wants them to understand that He came to share purpose. Even before His death, Jesus shared His purpose with His disciples. He made sure they understand that He had come to do His Father's will. And so everything that He did along the way, He did because it was part of His purpose. And He talked a lot about um, what the Bible said, the law and the prophets and the Psalms about Him as the Messiah, and that He had come to fulfill those purposes. But look, now Jesus He's going to go to the Father, right? And and so, He's not going to be here anymore. Now, that was also written about long ago, and, and, and we're going to focus on what then happens next because Jesus is going to begin to share in this text what the purpose of the disciples is. Like, Jesus' purpose has been fulfilled, okay? So, law and prophets, all of these prophecies, and they come to Jesus, and Jesus is like, look, um, here we go, we know about me, and now I'm going to kind of pass the baton on to you, and we're going to talk about your purpose after I go to be with the Father. And that's what we're going to focus on the rest of the morning. And we're going to start here in verse 45 of Luke 24. Then Jesus, this same moment that he's there, it's like he's eaten, he's told him to touch his hands and feet. Then He opened their minds so they could understand the Scriptures. And He told them, this is what is written, that the Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in His name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. Jesus' birth, death, and resurrection was the fulfillment of the law, and He fulfilled every part of it. Over 300 prophecies in the Old Testament were fulfilled by Jesus. In fact, every prophecy about the Messiah was fulfilled by Jesus except one, and I'll share that with you in just a second. In fact, some of the prophecies in the Old Testament were so obscure that nobody even really understood them as prophecies about the Messiah until they'd been fulfilled. Over and over in the New Testament, you read the apostles, and they're tying Old Testament scriptures into the life of Jesus. And I don't think anybody even ever realized that they were talking about Jesus at the time. So the first thing Jesus needs to do is open the minds of the disciples so that they can connect the dots, right, from from what they already had learned. Because look, all of these disciples were men. So they'd been taught the Torah from a very young age. They'd been taught the uh, Psalms of Ascent, especially. They understood the prophets. They'd they'd read, like, that was a big part of Jewish life. So they understood the prophecies about the Old Testament Messiah, but they hadn't been able to connect that to their own lives and their own purpose yet as they continued to move forward. Now, Now, here's what's going on. The death, burial, and resurrection of of Jesus is kind of like a a closure to the Old Testament. Jesus fulfilled the prophecies. The Messiah has come. The Old Testament was all about that, right? And then now something new is beginning. And so Jesus is kind of, again, passing the baton to the disciples. and, And what we read in the Old Testament, the disciples knew that their life going forward is going to be our New Testament, we're going to read about what the disciples did as this brand new thing, as the Holy Spirit comes to, to make his dwelling and his presence known in us. And so Jesus starts out this way. He says, the Messiah will suffer and will rise from the dead on the third day. All right, now that's, that's like over and done with okay? This has already happened. He's been killed, he's been buried, he's been resurrected, he suffered, he's risen from the dead on the third day. Everything that Jesus did and all the prophecies of the Old Testament up to this point are all in the past. The prophecies, hundreds and some even thousands of years old about the Messiah, Jesus being killed and buried and and resurrected, even going all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, And we read about the the very first prophecy about a Messiah who was to come. Jesus had fulfilled all of those prophecies, every prophecy about the Messiah except one. And that's the one we're still waiting for. That's kind of the important one to us, right? The promise that Jesus would one day come back and take those who are His to be with Him. And that in that moment, that, that heaven would be united with earth and these two things would become one. Just like our relationship, like we become one with God through Jesus, heaven and earth will become one and will be united and everything will be perfect just the way God intended in the beginning. Now Jesus begins to move into the future. And he's talking to the disciples about what their purpose is going to be moving forward. And so he lays out this three-step plan about what is going to happen. And it's a little odd, so just stick with me. Step one, he says, is that repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in Jesus' name. Like We can follow that pretty good, right? We know that's what needs to happen. The disciples need to, to preach repentance and forgiveness to people if anybody else is going to know about Jesus. And so that's a pretty normal thing. But step uh, two comes, and it's really step three, and he gets them mixed up. And so step three, he puts in the space of steps two, and he says this message about repentance and forgiveness will be preached to all nations. That's huge. Now, if you were sitting down with 11 guys, and and you were saying, look, here's your purpose, and here's what you're going to do. You're going to preach repentance and forgiveness to all nations, and, and, and their minds would just explode, right? They'd have to use that little emoji on your, on your phone. Uh, they just wouldn't get it. And so Jesus gives them this step two, which is really step three, where, where Jesus says it, um, and it's a little different. It says that this message will be preached to all nations, but that, that it would begin in Jerusalem. It would begin in Jerusalem. And so I think what was going on here was that Jesus was like starting with the end in mind. Okay, so this is the end in mind, that all nations would know about Jesus because repentance and forgiveness of sins would be preached in his name. But that's got to begin in Jerusalem. Now, we get the missional part of what Jesus is laying out, right? You, you, you start with the ones who are closest to you, and then you move out from there to other people. Like, we, we get this. We understand that this is what is, is, is going on. It's not this missional thing that Jesus is calling the disciples to that we struggle with. It's the repentance part. It's this one, that repentance would be preached to all nations, beginning with those around us, and that forgiveness would be shared in Jesus' name. Look, if you've been around church for any length of time, you've probably heard the word repentance. But do you really understand what it means? So, before we look a little more closely at the word repentance, because really that's the word we struggle with in, in this whole plan that Jesus has laid out, I want to give you a working definition of the word repentance. But, but, but first, I'm, I'm going to make sure you understand as we get into it, right? The word repentance literally means to turn around or change direction. That's what it means. It's very simple. This is like the grade school answer repentance means to turn around and change direction now you've never used that uh, in your life probably your mom has never told you to repent from um, going outside and instead come in for dinner or whatever we don't use that word outside of like churchy language or whatever but the reason we use it in church and continue even today to use it in church is because it's more than just to turn around and change a direction when it's applied to things of faith see Repentance actually has two interconnected parts. The first part is that there would be a change in our mind. That in our mind, we would change directions. We would turn around from the way, the, the way that we're going. And really, it works like this. If you're not a believer in Jesus... If you're not a follower of His, you need to repent, the Bible says. And you need to change direction. You need to change your mind. And you need to change your mind about some specific things. You need to change your mind about Jesus, first of all. You need to change your mind to believe that, that He is the Son of God who was and is and is to come, right? And that, that He lived and that He died and that He was buried and was raised again on the, on the three day. Like, if you're going to be a believer, you got to change your mind to recognize that. But you also got to change your mind about sin, and what sin is, because now you might just sin whatever, and it doesn't make any difference. So you've got to change your mind. You've got to change directions. The first part is that it's a change of mind. It's a different mindset, but that's followed closely by a change of actual direction. So a person of faith who repents would understand that first they need to change their mind about how they think about sin and about Jesus, but secondly, that they need to change their direction. It needs to go from the, from the heart or from the head to the hands, right? It needs to, to come out in the way that we, that we do, the things that we say and the things that we think and the, um, the, the, the things that we do. So here's the working definition for repentance, and it's our bottom line today. Repentance is a recurring action that revamps our lives over time so that we look more like Jesus. It's a recurring action that revamps our lives over time so we look more like Jesus. Repentance is not just a single event in our lives that becomes like this one and done kind of action where once you repent and and you receive the grand reward of heaven, like heaven is where you're going, then you don't have to worry about whatever happens in the rest of your life. No, repentance is a recurring action as Holy Spirit reveals more and more areas of our lives that need to be surrendered to Jesus. That doesn't happen immediately. It happens over time as, as God deals with those things and pulls back the layers of, that we've built around our heart and the walls and the areas that we've locked away from Him. And He slowly kind of digs into those things and we're able to recognize them and then surrender them to Jesus. And so we repent of our former life of sin when we come to Jesus in faith, but then none of us stop sinning, right? We all continue. I continue to sin even after that initial repentance. We continue to sin, and so repentance should be a recurring action that opens our eyes to the areas of sin in our lives. And and then we are revamped by this process, right, to look more like Jesus every day. Bill Hole, in his book, Dis- uh, Conversion and Discipleship, You Can't Have One Without the Other, said this, repentance involves sorrow that leads us away from sin, and the process of leaving sin results in our salvation. I, I really like that quote. You can see in-, in that quote how repentance or changing direction leads us both away from sin and toward the Savior. And it takes both of those actions to be transformed. We have to be led away from sin, but then we have to be going in a certain direction. We have to be moving towards the Savior. And since you will sin again, since I will sin again, a one-time act of repentance won't lead you to the kind of life change that causes you to look more like Jesus every day in your life. So, Let's get specific about how this works day in and day out. Because repentance is more than an event, it has to become your ethos. It's more than just a single event, it has to become your ethos. Now, for those of you joining us, maybe for the first time, I usually try to avoid words uh, when I preach that are not universally understood. It's, It's just part of my ethos. Did you get that? I just gave you a context clue for what the word means. Ethos is your attitude, your values, your personal culture, your mindset, everything that goes into making you kind of the person that you are. Part of our ethos here at Real Life shapes how I communicate. I want a couple of things to happen when I uh, preach or when I communicate with you. The, The first thing that I want to happen is that I want you to hear from God and not just from me. And so I don't want to wow you with uh, really spectacular words, you know, $12 words. I, I, I don't want to get everything polished and super great the way I communicate. I don't, I don't want you to be amazed at how well I communicate. I want you to see God, and I want you to hear from Him. So I want to make sure that the things that I share with you, um, first of all, are truth, but also that they're clear and that they're easily uh, applied to your life and, and my life each and every day. And so that's part of how I want to um, communicate with, with you. But the second thing that I want to happen is that I want, I want this to feel more like a conversation than a lecture. I, I want you to be engaged in, in what's being said and, 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 and what you're learning because I want this to feel like a little more back and forth. And there's a really important reason why. Because one of our core values here at Real Life is relationship. We have three core values, real, relevant, and relational. And I want the way I preach and communicate and the things that we do on stage and the small groups and all the things that happen here at Real Life to fit into those three categories. I want the way I preach to be relational. I want to build a relationship through what we're talking about. So repentance needs to become a part of your daily flow as you interact with God's Word, as you try to work God's ways into your life and as you interact with other people. When Holy Spirit reveals sin in your relationship with God or your relationship with others, right, those are the two big relationships that God talks about, God Himself and then others. Those are what God's concerned about. There needs to be repentance in those two areas because that's the only way that the next two things will happen we have to recognize our sin so that we can avoid it in the future that's a big one that's a big part of what repentance is recognizing the times that we've sinned either sinned against God or sinned against others so that we can avoid that in the future but the second part that happens is that through repentance we can keep our relationship with God open and honest that needs to happen as well See, I think many followers of Jesus and myself included at times experience a flat relationship with God because we stop repenting. Maybe we stop thinking that we need to repent or maybe we just decide it doesn't matter. Maybe we think, well, I did that back when I was 12 years old and I gave my life to Christ and I repented and I was baptized or whatever, so I'm good. Like, I don't need to worry about it anymore. But, But there's something really important that happens here. When you stop repenting, you cease to recognize the sin in your life. But think about that just for a moment. Now, Jesus went to the cross. He died. He gave up his life for our sin. And when we stop repenting, we cease to recognize the sin in our own life that Jesus went to the cross to pay for. When you see repentance as a single event in your life that leads to eternity with God, then what do you do for the rest of your life? Like if you're good at 12 years old or 8 years old or 20 years old, what do you do for the rest of your life? Between your decision to follow Jesus and your demise, what else is there left? What have you got to work for? But what if there's more to your walk with Jesus? What if you could experience rewards in your walk with Jesus even here on this earth? Let me explain it this way. Repentance is not like starting a diet where you repent from bad eating habits and then everything goes well. Choosing healthier foods and avoiding unhealthy foods takes willpower, but willpower won't save you. Like, it takes willpower to avoid the foods you really want, and it takes willpower to eat the foods you really don't want. That's about dieting. You may have the willpower to avoid sin in the short term, but simply avoiding sin won't get you any closer to Jesus. Now, through sheer willpower, you may be able to do good for a while, but you can't do enough good to counteract all the bad in your life. No matter how hard you try, eventually, willpower weakens. And the reason for that is that willpower won't save you because it's your power That's why we struggle as believers. When we try to live the life of Christ and look more like Jesus in our daily lives based on willpower, just trying to do a better job so that God will love us, we're not gonna succeed because it's our power. We're trying to accomplish things of God with the, the life of flesh that we have. Jesus said that repentance for the forgiveness of sins would be preached in his name. So, it's not enough to to work real hard to avoid sin if you're not doing it for His name. Look, sinlessness without the Savior still leads to Satan. Assuming that sinlessness was even an option, and it's not because we're never going to get there. Your repentance isn't the reward of forgiveness, but it's for the glory of Jesus' name who purchased that forgiveness for you on the cross. Repentance doesn't just help you recognize your own sin, it helps us recognize and remember our need for a Savior. Some believe that repenting or being saved is simply deliverance from the consequences of sin, but we're being saved to something as much as we're being saved from something. Listen to what Paul says about this very idea in 2 Corinthians He says, yet now I am happy, not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led you to repentance. For you became sorrowful as God intended, and so you were not harmed in any way by us. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and then leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. See what this godly sorrow has produced in you what earnestness and eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation and alarm he's talking about in regards to sin, what longing for the Savior, what concern for others, what readiness to see justice done. At every point, you have proved yourselves to be innocent in this matter. This is the result of an ethos of repentance. An ever-rising and falling tide of recognition of your personal sin that revamps your life so that you look more like Jesus. And and so, look, if you consider yourself a follower of Jesus, I want you to pay attention. Maybe the kids are making noise around you or something else. Maybe your microwave is going off in the other room. I don't know. Just ignore it for a moment and pay attention to what I'm going to say. Today, right now in this moment, what do you need to come clean to God about in your life? It's not that God doesn't already know it, right? He already knows every thought of our mind and heart. But we need to recognize our own sin so that we might get back in line with God's ways. See, This idea of repentance, it humbles us to recognize our sin and our need for a Savior. Because you can't remove your own sin. I can't remove your sin. Nobody but Jesus can remove your sin. And that doesn't happen unless we first recognize that we sin and then repent. If we don't recognize our sin, then Jesus' sacrifice is reduced in our eyes. When we as followers treat our sin as simply an accessory to our lives, some piece of baggage that we just can't seem to get rid of, we cheapen the cross where Jesus shed His blood for that very sin. Our sin cost Him His life. Surely it's worth our repentance. So if you're a believer today and there's been sin in your life and you recognize that And man, Holy Spirit is talking to you and there's some things that you need to repent of. And if you're joining us on our online campus, just above the chat window, you'll see this link that says next steps. Don't go there yet, but in just a moment, I'm going to have you click on that link. And when you get there, you can look through that list of, of things. One of those is the idea about rededication. And there's a form at the bottom of that page. It's very short. It's very simple. And I just ask you to say, what's the next step that you need to take in your life? And So if you're already a believer in Jesus, maybe you've recognized that there's some things going on in your life that you need to repent of, and you need to turn over to Jesus, go to that page, go down to the bottom of that form, and once you've filled it out, click on that rededication uh, checkbox. But again, don't go yet. If you haven't been a follower of of Jesus, but maybe this morning you're ready to commit your life to following Him and then learning to look more like Him every day as we take this message of repentance and forgiveness in His name to all nations, I want you to locate that link at the top of the chat window as well. The link says next steps, but don't click on it yet. Now, if you're watching this morning and you're not ready to turn away from your sin, you think maybe this is just a, a bunch of baloney and it doesn't make any difference, I want you to know that we're going to be praying that God would bring you to a point where you recognize that your life is on a dead-end road. And that the only way you're going to find real life, you're going to find purpose for your life, you're going to find forgiveness in your life, is if you turn it over to Jesus And are ready to repent. And so we're going to pray that that comes to you quickly, that you come to that place, that you have an experience with the Savior, that the Holy Spirit leads you to a place of repentance so that you can one day give your life to Him. Now, if you're a follower of Jesus or you'd like to be, I'm going to do something that we've never done here at Real Life before. In just a moment, I'm going to give you 60 seconds to jump to that next step link on our online campus. Determine what your next step is, repentance or salvation, rededication, and then fill out that short form with your next step. And it's important that you do that because, look, unless you take a step, unless you let somebody know, this is just going to go by the wayside. So it's important for you to... To, to take an action in this moment and let us know and it 's important for us because we want to help you take that next step. We want to give you information, we want to pray with you we want to help you uh, as you take your next steps with Jesus. Now, before we get to that sixty seconds if you 're not either one in either one of these categories right you 're a believer you understand what's going on, you've repented in your life, it's a part of your ethos and your makeup and you recognize the sacrifice of Jesus and you're trying to look more like Him each and every day. When this 60-second timer comes up, here's what we're going to be doing. We're going to be praying for those people who are clicking over to that link and who are going to make a decision. Maybe a first-time decision, maybe rededicating. Maybe they don't even know what they're going to do until they get there. But we're going to be praying for them Uh, together that God would call every person to repentance today that they would see repentance as a part of their ethos and that we would all then work together to help every person possible find real life in Jesus and so um, are you ready we're going to put 60 seconds up on the clock and we're going to do that right now If you fail to recognize the sin in your life, then it will not lead to a transformative experience, but only a temporary fix. And so I hope that you're ready to step into this relationship with God, a a reconciliation between you and God through the blood of Jesus, to seek the Holy Spirit's help in truly repenting of of sin and and making that a, a part of your ethos, turning to God and turning away from sin is a lifestyle that leads to transformation. Because when repentance becomes a part of your ethos, it will revamp your life so you look more like Jesus every day and that really is our greatest purpose. Let's pray. God, I want to thank you for each and every person who made a decision this morning for you. I want to thank you for your promise that, that where repentance is present, there will be forgiveness of sin, and that comes in the name of Jesus. And I thank you for the, the, the grand and glorious mission that you've called us to, this purpose, the same thing that you called the disciples to, that repentance and forgiveness of sin would be preached in Jesus' name to all nations beginning where we're at at the moment so you've called us to a great purpose God and and, and you've promised to give us everything we need to fulfill that purpose through the Holy Spirit and so God help us to lean into that help us to recognize our sin help us to repent of it help us to live this life and have this ethos of repentance so that we have a transformed life and, and, and not just a temporary fix here and there God, I thank you for loving us and forgiving us and for giving us second chances. And I thank you that failure isn't fatal. And, 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 and God, that you continue to call us and reach out to us and you continue to give us ways to enter into relationship with you and, and greater purpose in our lives. And I pray we take advantage of that today. In Jesus' name, amen. <coughs> I want to thank you for joining us for worship today, and I want to share a couple things with you as we look forward to the end of our quarantine, even though it's still a ways away. Governor Kelly issued some uh, new relaxed restrictions for the coming weeks, Um, but remember that we don't have a building, so we're working with the city and in partnership with them to figure out uh, when things are going to begin to loosen up for us. One of the things that I hope that you've uh, experienced over the last month or so is um, the life change that can happen through online church. Having our services online isn't just a frill, it's not just an extra nice thing we do for people who can't make it to church, but it's a viable option for people not just to get their foot in the door of church, but to make sustained, long-lasting transformation as the Holy Spirit leads them. And so we're gonna to continue to do everything we can to make sure that our in-person gatherings are as good as they can be, and that our online church uh, is as good as it can be as well. And I hope that you'll join me in that in and, and welcoming all the new people who are gonna be coming uh, and joining us online, and hopefully in person when that gets here. So let me lay out for you the two-step plan that we have uh, moving forward from today. Things aren't gonna change for us a Mm -hmm. whole lot as far as the next few weeks are concerned. Uh, The restrictions are lessened on Mm in-person gatherings, but again, we're working with the Civic Center, and so here's what we're gonna do. Um, Beginning tomorrow, if you meet in a small group, uh, we would encourage you to consider meeting in person as you feel comfortable, still maintaining 10 Mm -hmm. people or less. Our youth group, junior, senior, high, are going to begin meeting on May 17th in person. That's the week after Mother's Day, by the way, which is next week. Happy Moms Day. Uh, I also want to encourage you to to maybe, maybe you haven't seen somebody that uh, you knew from a kid's church or you worked with in the nursery or welcome team or whatever. but that you would uh, invite somebody over to your house maybe uh, have a play date or invite them over for dinner hang out on the back porch or in the garage or uh, do something together uh, to begin building those relationships once again as we look forward to in-person meetings we're going to continue to offer worship at 9 and ten forty-five online in this phase one of our uh, recovery process now phase two is a little more tricky because we're not really sure what date it's going to happen we're looking at the middle or even towards the end of june before we're going to be able to have in-person services at the civic center once that happens we'll certainly let you know we'll be sharing more updates as we get closer to that date and, and and what we might do to bring everybody back together but by that time we believe that every restriction will be lifted. And so we'll be able to come together and we'll be able to celebrate together just like we did before with a few exceptions. We will have hand sanitizer stations available uh, when you come back to the Civic Center for Church. Um, And again, we'll continue to offer online church service. And just to put a bug in your ear, church times may change as we prepare to come back and uh, look at multiple service options and what god might be leading us to do in the fall as we come back and get ready to go back to school and all the things that are going to happen so stay tuned uh, for what god's going to do and what the plans are so phase one stay where you're at continue to join us online phase two will happen in mid to late june and we'll be looking for you in person or online Uh, Looking forward to seeing you, to chatting with you. Love you, hope you experience uh, repentance and forgiveness and life change in Jesus.